Um, I've been down at San Diego Christian. That's the college that I'm attending, uh, getting a biblical studies degree. Um, I've, I love it down there. It's definitely a second home. Um, but I'm glad to be back to the first home, a place that I grew in the community and that I found Jesus. Um, so I'm going to open up in prayer before we get into this. So if you bow your head and close your eyes, please. Father, I, uh, Lord, I, I just ask, Lord, I just ask for your presence to just envelop this room, Father, to take it over, Lord, to just soften the hearts, Lord, and just give us clear minds for this time, Father, that our minds would just turn off to whatever is in our mind, whatever is going on outside, Father, that we would just tune in and we would just study what you have to teach us, Father, that we would learn the lesson that you have to teach us, Father, and that we would just enjoy the time, Lord, and that there would just be, by the end, just that unspeakable joy that only you are capable of giving. So I I pray a blessing on this time that we have together, as it is a privilege and a blessing. Thank you for everything that you did, Lord, and all the glory to you. pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. So uh, I'll be preaching on, um, the title is Ingredients for a Christian Life. Uh, I was sitting at the computer listening to Pandora. If you don't know what that is, it's like an internet radio station. I had it on the Hillsong station. Um, And I was about to start the sermon. I didn't really know what it was going to be about. I didn't really, I mean, Pastor Chris gave me free reign on it. And um, all of a sudden, my mom comes in the room, and she says, ingredients for a Christian life. And I looked at her, and I said, where did that come from? (laughs) Like, you just come in and tell me that? Um, Well, when she said this, my eyes lit up, and I got really excited. I got that big Jesus smile. And uh, then I went on the Vaughn's website, and I looked at the picture. And if you haven't seen the picture, and it's something that I've never really noticed, behind the picture, there is fruit. And in front of the fruit, it says ingredients for life. And when I saw that, because Peter is writing about those fruit of the Spirit in the scripture that we're going to be in. And I just thought it was interesting how I can look or even go to Vaughn's, but I've, I never realized Christ's hand in a simple grocery store. <laughs> um, so if you uh, put the scripture on the screen, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 1 through 8. Uh, that is, if you're using the Pew Bible, it is on page 842. 'Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be your, yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything, everything we need for life, and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you do, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our, your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, give you a little context on, on Peter, on Simon Peter. Uh, Second Peter was written towards the end of Simon Peter, the author's life. During this time, the false teachers were becoming a huge problem in the church, just as in some areas today, you'll find. Um, Peter is writing to simply be the voice in the midst of that chaos, be the voice in the midst of that confusion. Now, I hear the command that Peter is saying, but also... I hear that encouraging voice. And he's calling to the members of the church to study the word and have a relationship with God. And then this will help them to be able to recognize this false teaching that he's talking about. Verse 3. The one that hit me the most. God gives us everything. Everything we need for life. Not something, not a little bit. Everything. I'm going to say it again. God gives us everything. Everything we will ever need for life. Can you imagine the peace we would have if we truly believed and clung to that saying, to that verse? We would not worry about anything. We would trust that the Father is going to provide. Then he goes on to write through our knowledge of him. See, Peter is encouraging us to realize that God doesn't just want to give. He wants to give abundantly. He wants to bless his servants. I look at the encounter that, for an example, that Peter had in Luke 4. Peter's out fishing all night. He doesn't catch anything. Jesus walks up and he says, it's in the middle of the, middle of the night, and he says, cast your nets out on this side. Peter says to him, Master, we've went all over this lake. We've went all over. We have caught nothing. But because you say so, I will do it. Now, those who are familiar, he casts the nets out. And all of a sudden, he catches so much fish, another boat has to come out. His nets begin to break because he is catching so much fish. Because, and the beauty of this story is something we can't miss. Peter trusted Christ, and he supplied more than Peter was originally asking for. Peter was going out to fish, but I don't think Peter had in mind all of that fish that he caught. God blessed him because of the obedience. He trusted that God was going to supply. Now, Peter, that's one of the promises. Peter is a book that tells us all about God's divine promises. Now, God is a God who makes those promises, and I've yet to find any evidence that after that promise is made, he did not do his end of the deal. God promised, if we remember, in, Abra in Genesis 12, in Abraham, with Abraham, 
He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and I will bless, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now we go a little later down the line. Abraham's family line was blessed bountifully. He was known as the father, the earthly father of Israel. When Lot cursed him due to selfishness in Genesis, they split. Abraham was the one that was blessed. The promise was fulfilled. That promise that God made back several hundred years ago to Abraham was the one that was kept. But here's the problem. Here's where it gets tough. We're the ones that question, and we're the ones who distort that promise. Now, we're not the only ones who are guilty of this. Luke 1, Zechariah was selected to be the eighth priest to go into the high place and carry the prayers of Israel. Now, there was something different about Zechariah. He approached it with the utmost respect and humility. It was not just a ritual. It was not something that he just went through. Well, he goes in and the angel of the Lord appears. And he says, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. What does Zechariah say? A pretty common answer back to when God says those things that we say. How can I be sure of this? Like, you're really telling me we're going we're gonna to have a baby? Like, my wife is ancient. <laughs> like, how is she going to have a baby? <laughs> the angel of the Lord fires back and says, I'm taking your ability to speak until that baby is born and until that baby is named John. Now, this story has another deeper meaning, as God's scripture does, as I'm learning in my, one of my Bible classes. We are so quick to question when we should be quick to follow and do. I think the common reply to this idea of trusting God, how do I do this? Well, I would encourage you, the how department is God's department. It's not our department. We're not called to ask how. We're just called to follow and to trust. There's no magic formula or potion that we can drink to where we all of a sudden trust God. It's something that is built through a constant relationship with Christ. Uh, I think of, of Paul when he's on the Damascus Road. He's walking and all of a sudden this booming voice comes and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul said, who are you, Lord? Jesus then says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Did, Paul, did Jesus tell Paul what he was going to do? <laughs> Paul didn't know what he was doing, but yet he kept walking forward. Now, yes, Paul was physically blind at that point, so what else is he going to do? He's just going to stand there. <laughs> He's got to keep walking. But... Many, including me, when I read this, was thinking what I said. Uh, he didn't even tell him what he was doing. He just told him a city. You know, there's a lot of cities. There's Huntington Beach. There's Long Beach. There's all these cities around. It's like, what city am I supposed to go to? 
and what am I supposed to do there? This guy's nuts, is what I thought. Like he's, I don't know how he has that. Now, as I said, Paul was forced to trust God blindly because he physically couldn't see. But the beauty is, God doesn't call us to trust blindly. He calls us to trust him boldly and to follow him boldly. There are times when we will feel blind, and we do need to follow blindly. But most of the time, he's encouraging us to follow him boldly. Next, I'm thinking, okay, that was Paul. Look at all the things Paul did. That's definitely not me. You can substitute your name into this. Trusting was so much easier in those times. I got bills to pay. I got kids to feed. A job to work. I'm losing my home. I'm going through a divorce. I'm thousands of dollars in debt from college. My retirement fund is slipping away. There's all those things we can add. It can be a long laundry list of things that we worry about. Well, it was no different in those biblical times. Going back to Abraham, Abraham, God says to Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Once again, he doesn't tell him where he's going. He just says a land. Like, does God like doing this? Like, <laughs> Then, even another one that we don't think of. We learn it when we're all in Sunday school. David and Goliath. A little, little guy facing a trained Philistine warrior. I mean, that's, that's pretty gutsy right there. <laughs> um... That would be like a little five-year-old going up against Shaq. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I'd put my money, my money on, Sh- on Shaq, but David trusted God, and God supplied that strength for David. And David, when he was being questioned why they were asking him why he can fight, David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried it off, or carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. And I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from this hand of the Philistine. David was a old-time William Wallace. <laughs> he trusted that God was going to be his strength. He trusted God in that battle. Although this was a physical battle, there are those spiritual battles that we're called to trust, and they can be sometimes just as bad or even worse. But once again, trust. Trust God. <laughs> Um, a man from Nigeria, who I'm going to be serving with next year, uh, his name's Simeon, told me a, a very inspiring story about trust. He said, he showed me this fish. 
this simple fish. And he said, the fish to me means more than trusting that God is the only thing I need. The only thing separating me from the pain and sorrow that I see in my country at this time, religious persecution was happening in his country. It gives me hope and security that God made a promise, not just to me, not just to my family, but to his flock. He will do everything in his power to make sure that promise is fulfilled. My part of the deal, I have to trust and I have to follow. This fish, no matter where it is. Give you the context, what they would do is they'd put the fish on the ground or they'd hide it behind a rock and you'd look. You'd find the fish and it was a trail leading to where that church was meeting. When he told me this, I was very close to breaking down in tears. Because that trust that he built with God was something that I wished to acquire. But then I, that was what I really, that was what I originally thought. But then, a couple days later, God says to me, you don't acquire trust. It's something you build. It's built through that relationship with Christ. See, with trust, there comes faith. Once we trust our faith, it can be refined and deepened, like Peter writes about in verses 5 through 8. Peter writes about the seven ingredients for a Christian life, just some of them, and a deep and functioning faith. The first ingredient he writes about is goodness. When I read this, I was like, goodness, is that even a word? Like, I don't, I don't know what that means. So I looked it up. And also, goodness means moral excellence. Since we have a relationship with God, we must be people of character. Our character is what people see. It's the reality of who we really are. A quote that I heard, and has truly been one of my life quotes, is a man's reputation is what other people think of him. His character is what he truly is. Now this past year I've had quite the test in character. Um, as if you don't know, but I'm sure most people know, I've played baseball since I was yay high. My world was rocked this last year. Uh, I was having some arm problems. I had to go to the doctor, and I walk in, and the doctor says, son, you got a torn labrum. These are your two options. One, you shut it down, and you get the surgery now. Or two, you play through it, and you put your career on the line. Well, I sat for two weeks, and then I was tired of sitting. I, at that point, that was the first time that I invited God into the area of baseball, onto that field. I got through those games, every inning, one by one, praying, God, get me through another inning, plus 
I took about 3,000 milligrams of Tylenol, so that probably helped too. <laughs> uh, but in that time when I was in my sling, I couldn't go anywhere. I was stuck at home. I came across a book that um, most of you know the author, Beth Moore. Um, it, was a, it was called Paul's 90-Day Journey to Faith. It was a study that was studying the life of Paul. Well, that book pretty much plastered me all the way back. It knocked me back, and I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, my life went from over here to over here. It went from my strength and what I could do to God's strength and what he had in store for me. Now, I always had this vision of going to some big old Division I university and walking through as a scholarship baseball player with my chest held high. It was on my own pride. It was my own, my own goal. Now, I had that. I had that chance. And then I had surgery. Never once, it was total God, never once was I sad. Never once was I depressed when I was away from that game. Now, God sent me to San Diego Christian. I come from a school with about 4,200 kids. My graduating class was 981 kids. There's not even that much. There's not even that much kids in my school. There's probably like 400. I know all the freshmen already after two weeks of school. <laughs> but my coach and a true man of God said, the first thing he says to us is, this is the arena that God has given you to share your faith. Not everyone has this talent. But the true goal of this team is for you to share your faith and to reflect Christ on that field. I'm also part of a leadership program down there that is, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. It's preparing the youth for ministry in church. There's only eight kids in that class. It's a small one, but it's a very strong God-centered class. The plan that I had over here cannot even measure up to the plan that God has for me over here. The next ingredient that Paul writes, or Peter <laughs> writes about is knowledge. Knowledge is an amazing thing to have, but it's much more than just a simple word. It's much more than just stuff you have in your head. Peter is writing about these Pharisees or false teachers that have all this knowledge. They got it all in their head, but yet they're the same people that don't even, they don't even recognize Jesus. They don't, they don't know who he is. See, Peter is writing to these people. See, these men were intelligent. Don't get me wrong, they studied. But they were intelligent in the wrong sense. The dictionary definition to intelligence, capacity for learning, reasoning, understanding, and similar forms of mental activity. So I was curious. I looked up knowledge to see what knowledge meant. Knowledge means the acquaintance with facts or truths or principles 
as far from study or investigation. From study or investigation is knowledge. I've yet to read in my times of reading the Bible, I've yet to find intelligence used in the Bible. I've found knowledge quite a bit, but never intelligence. Now, we have to have this godly knowledge so that we can grow. Now, how do we get that? How does that happen? We study the Word. We have prayer time. We find a time in our day to set it out for God. Um, in a recent talk I had with this guy over here, Lanny, who hasn't thrown anything at me yet, so that's a good thing. Um, we're both going to be going on a missions trip together next, this summer. And we were having a talk, and I said, I'm the passion and the fire, but you're the wisdom. And without wisdom, I have no direction for my passion and fire. If we can learn, just as me and Lanny did, that combination, which is what we're slowly getting towards, and I think would be the voice of our youth. We need your wisdom. We need it for our direction. See, knowledge, brothers and sisters, is an action. Now we have character and knowledge. The next ingredient, the hardest one for me, self-control. <laughs> Whether it's candy or whatever you can substitute it in. Self-control is not easy. Self-control is a, one of the fruit of the Spirit that is talked about in Galatians 5. Now we, as it says in Matthew, are not capable of producing that fruit. Only Christ is capable of producing that fruit and growing that fruit. Most of the time, if we don't have self-control, we don't know we don't have it. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where if, if, if you have it, you know it, and if you don't have it, you don't know it until somebody decides to tell you or until God slaps you in the face a couple times. Um, Peter writes a couple verses later in verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you by Jesus Christ. God is the supplier of self-control. But I got to come to him. As I wrote down this morning after listening to Majesty and Pastor Joe's prayer, how long am I going to stay away from his arms? How long is it going to take for me to just go to him? We've got to ask for it. And Christ is the only one and will fulfill that order. So the next time, I would encourage you, the next time you are tempted to lose control, remember that through God you have the power to walk in self-control. Because self-control in God is already in you. Next, Perseverance. This word brings a lot of connotation and a lot of meaning to me. There were so many times I just wanted to quit in this last year. 
I looked at it as God took baseball from me, therefore I'm not supposed to have it. Just, I don't want to do this. I mean, when I got out of my sling, I looked like this. I couldn't even lift my arm on my own strength. What was the point of putting in all this work? Then I came across a verse in a prayer time, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal, and what is seen is temporary. This single verse got me through all the pain and all of those trials of a year and two months of physical therapy. And I'm still not done with it. We will encounter many times in our walk where we just want to quit. Whatever the issue is, we just, I'm done. You just throw it all down, I'm done. But I would encourage you, the word quitting is the admitting of defeat. And with our Lord, Jesus Christ, there is no defeat. Great illustration of this is the Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown. There's an episode where it's talking, they're playing baseball, and umpire screams, strike three. Charlie Brown walks back with his shoulders slumped, that defeat in his eyes, and says, rats, I'll never be a big league player. I just don't have it. All my life I've dreamed of playing in the big leagues, but I know I'll never make it. Well, Lucy says to him, Charlie Brown, you're thinking too far ahead. What you need to do is set yourself some more immediate goals. Charlie looks up as I've looked up at God when he said that and says, immediate goals? She says, yes. Start with this next inning. When you go out to pitch, see if you can, see if you can walk out on the mound without falling down. <laughs> Point of the story, do the next thing. Persevere through the next storm. Hang in there. Don't worry about all that's to come. God's grace is sufficient enough for us. A quote by Walter Elliott says, perseverance is not one long race. It's many short ones, one after another. Next, we have godliness. Godly, the root of godliness, means divine from God. It's an understanding that God is a holy God. As it says in Leviticus 11.44, for I am, whoa, that is not what it says. <laughs> for, I, <laughs> for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. God is commanding, but yet again I hear that loving voice. He's encouraging us that holiness is not something we can obtain on ourselves. It's something that we need God for. No God, no holiness. Think of Isaiah. He has an encounter with, the God, with God and he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. Peter catching all the fish. Go away from me, Lord, for I am not worthy. A lot of the times we are comfortable with God's holiness until it touches us. And we freak out. 
then we feel unworthy. I encourage you, that is not from God. The closer you get to God, the more the enemy tries to take you down. You are worthy. We are all worthy to be in Christ's presence. Right now I'm going through a study by Beth Moore called Jesus the One and Only. It's the study of Jesus. Who this guy was, what he did, and why he did it. She writes about her realization of unholiness. She says they were both harrowing and liberating at the same time. The surrender resulting from this realization of my unholiness did more to activate God's holiness in me more than anything I ever experienced. It's once again saying, yes, we are sinners, but no, that is not who I am. That is not what defines me. That holiness, in a simple word, is freedom. Freedom from whatever happened before. God wants to give it. But the question is, do we receive it? Next, we have brotherly kindness. Peter writes, because you have a relationship with God, because you have faith, exercise brotherly kindness to others. Or continue to walk in love toward the brethren. The saddening thing that is part of this earth and is part of every church, mostly, is we sadly so often judge one another and act in ways inconsistent with the Christian life. I'm guilty of it, I know it. But I would encourage you, Addie Mays, the woman that adopted Simeon, who we're going with to Nigeria next year, or this summer, sum this, this idea of the blend, that balance between this Christian life. She said, be unwavering in your moral convictions, but always do so in a non-judgmental way. Our last ingredient, and everyone's favorite, love. The love that God supplies is that highest form of love. It's agape love. Love that doesn't add requirements to it. It knows no bounds. It draws no lines in the sand. It is for everyone, whether you're in here or out there. Christ's love is for everyone. Where, as humans, we become distorted or confused is when we mistake love for approval. We say things like, I'll love you if. I'll love you when. This is not the love Christ writes about. In 1 Corinthians 13... He writes, love is patient, love is kind. It is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs, 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, for love never fails. It is not self-seeking is the one we struggle the most with. We want, we say, I'll give you love if you give me something back. We got it all wrong if we're doing it that way. This is unconditional love. Now, in the talk with Pastor Joe, I learned the difference between the earthly unconditional love and the godly unconditional love. I will admit it, I have had very not good relationships. None of them have been Christian. They've, they were not good. And the main thing that I realized through talking to him, well, first he said I'm needy, and I didn't like that. <laughs> but that's what I needed to hear. Um, but he said the love that you're wanting from a person, if they gave it to you, What's that for? What do, you need, what do you need Christ for? But still, it's not self-seeking. It's love that we offer to anyone. Love is something we practice through our faith and hopefully in our daily lives. Have you ever been driving and the guy gets road rage and you just wave at him? How upset they get when that happens? Or you, the lady's honking at you and you just sit at the stop sign and just wait. I mean, the best thing to do when somebody's mad or is giving you that is give them some love. They freak. They get even more mad. <laughs> faith and love are not faith and love. They're faith and love. They go hand in hand. To sum up love and this ingredient that Peter's writing about, faith, just kidding. Love is the way we show peace. Love sets us free. Love is the bond that joins our community. Love is the answer that not only us in the church are seeking for, but the outside are searching for. It lives inside all of us because God lives in us. Peter's encouraging us. We got the tools. We got the capability. But what do we do with those? Verse 8 then says, if you do this, you will keep from being unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we are able to add all these ingredients and live with all these ingredients to our meal, we will truly have a faith others can look up to and follow. Love, I believe, is the one that ties it all together. It holds all those things together. Because with love alone, the love that Jesus calls us, we will bear good fruit. But are we satisfied with just that? Are we satisfied with that comfort zone? Or are we going to go out of that comfort zone. Trust, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, 
brotherly kindness, and love are some of the ingredients God supplies as the master chef. But we're the ones that need to use those ingredients. We can't do it on our own. We need that master chef's guidance. Just like I said, I need the mentorship. I need it. Or else, how am I going to take all these ingredients and make a meal? It's not going to taste very good if you do that. I don't know how good of a cook Lanny is, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> See, beloved, the meal is already set. It's already there. It talks about the feast in Revelation. Well, I see that meal as a buffet. The buffet is all the gifts, all the ingredients that each one of us bring to that table. I'm going to bring something different than somebody else. It's a church potluck up there. <laughs> See, the invitation to this meal has been sent out. It is in the mail, and you've received it, and you've opened it. I've opened it. We've all opened it together. The question is, are you ready to cook? Are you ready to use those ingredients? Let us pray. Father, I, uh, I come to you, God, but we come to you asking to give us the courage and the strength to go out of those comfort zones, Father. To take those ingredients that you've given us to the next step. To not make the meal on our own, on our own skills, Father, but to make it on yours. God, if you can take a little bit of loaves and a little bit of fish and feed enough people to have leftovers, Imagine the things he could do with what we have. God, I just pray that we would just hear that encouraging voice, Lord, just telling us, God telling us, I want more. God, knowing that we will never reach perfection, we will never have all of these working perfectly in harmony. Lord, but we can get pretty close, but the only way we can get close is with you. Father, I thank you for the lessons that you're teaching us, Father. Lord, and the message that has spoke to our hearts. God, give us joy and energy, and let us just be movers and shakers for the kingdom. Father, we love you, and I pray all this in your heavenly name. Amen.